Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I am the CEO and founder of the Innovative Leadership Institute, formerly Metcalf & Associates. With me today is Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. Since 2013, Congresswoman Beatty has represented Ohio's 3rd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. She serves on the prestigious and exclusive House Financial Services Committee and is an influential member of the Democratic Women's Working Group. My purpose for this show is, in times of dramatic change, helping leaders become prepared and stay prepared for the range of changes we're facing. My hope is that in each conversation, you as the listener hear something new that you can put into practice at the end of this show and or something that changes your mindset about how you lead. So we're going to jump right in. Welcome, Congresswoman Baby. I'm so honored to be here today. So we live in a time where people are sharing more about their personal struggles. And so I wanted to ask you to share your story. I know you've had some struggles and you grew up in a time different than today. So can you give us a little bit of background? Who are you? I like to look at it like this. I like to say to audiences and especially women that I'm that little girl that grew up in the neighborhood. I'm that little girl that was undecided about most things, but very focused that there needed to be a change. I'm not always sure that at the moment I know what the change is, but I fought hard to advance causes, like to be in my high school and to give the graduation speech when I was graduating from high school. Because during the era of time, that I grew up in, high school was basically it for me. First generation to go to college. No one in my entire family had graduated from college at the time I entered college. I I grew up, what I like to say, in a regular family. You know, we went to church four times uh, out of seven days a week because my mother's a PK or preacher's child, as we like to say. So that grounded me. I grew up in the neighborhood, a neighborhood where you had to advocate and you had to fight and you had to be disciplined and you had to behave. And then I went off into this big world, college graduate like most, looking for a job, looking for family and happiness. Were there struggles along the way? Absolutely. I grew up in an era of time when my mother would hold my hand so tight when we would go downtown because there would be water fountains that would say for whites only and a lower water fountain that would say for colored. And I said to her, I want to drink out of the big water fountain. (laughs) And my mother realized that I was a child that wouldn't take no for an answer quietly. So she would hold my hand tightly because she knew there could be consequences. So at an early age, I learned that there are always consequences for your actions. I also learned coming from a family that you had to listen a lot and you couldn't express yourself as a child. You did as you were told. But if you had a question, my father always taught me you had to have resolve. So now I enter this big world, curious, eager, anxious to make a change. So I had to figure out the resolve. Being an African-American woman, There were many disadvantages for me that caused struggles. Disadvantages that there weren't a lot of women who looked like me 
in the room when I was growing up. All of my supervisors and bosses, for the most part, were white men. And even though I grew up in an integrated neighborhood, went to integrated schools, I went to a historically black college and university, and I think it was there that I got grounded, where I saw PhDs and black women teaching science and black women teaching math and strong black men telling me I could do anything I wanted to be. So I've taken that grounding all the way from higher education at The Ohio State University, not overly proud to say that I was the first female Mm -hmm. to be a senior vice president with a contract reporting to the president of the university of one of the largest universities in the country. No other person of color in the room in executive meetings and certainly not a female. But here's the good news. I always like to say, don't brag about being a first if there's not a second or a third. I can tell you, There are women now who are senior vice presidents and in the room there. If we go to politics, which consumes all of my life right now, and I'm so honored and proud to serve the 3rd Congressional District. When I was in the State House, I was the first female to not only successfully get elected as the Democratic leader, But I raised more money and delivered more seats than anyone had done prior to me. Now, let's think about that prior to me. That means all men. Now, that was a huge accomplishment because not only was I a female, I'm a black female being that successful, delivering the majority, something that had not been done when we didn't draw the district line. So that was big. But there were women to follow me. As I hear this, it sounds like you're amazingly successful, and I know that to be true. You had to go through a lot of soul-searching and a lot of tough days and a lot of, Mm -hmm. if it were me, it'd be the days I wanted to go home and beat a pillow or run a lot, kick a, you know, hit a punching bag. How did you keep positive on the days that things didn't seem fair, people were not kind, It wasn't fair that you had to use the shorter water fountain. It wasn't fair on lots of counts, I imagine. And that had to be hurtful and just feel bad. Oh, I'm sure I I had a lot of those days as I was growing up, and I still have them today. (laughs) Uh, So I, I think for me, it's the discipline of understanding when you have a victory, you don't have to get even. I also realize that One of the things when people are against you, whether that is because of discrimination, if that's because of your gender or your ethnicity, then you have to stay more focused. And sometimes that's difficult. But I think one of my strengths is the the energy that I possess to always have a movement within myself. And and that movement is to be victorious. And they're not always big victories. It might be that I mentored someone and now I see them in an accomplished position. It might be that I took someone with very raw talents and hopefully by experience and mentoring shaped them into 
a new leader. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always thinking of how I can beat that person that's against me. I'm highly competitive. Any of my (laughs) friends listening and people who know me, I am extremely driven. I'm highly competitive and I only require about three hours sleep. So I have a lot of time to think about what my day is going to be like and how to shape myself. And here's the good thing. When you have grown up in the world that I grew up in, I grew up with segregated neighborhoods. I grew up with cousins in the South in the 60s, you have to remember, who couldn't vote. I grew up with Rosa Parks and my idol, and I grew up with a lot of strong national black women. Being interested in politics, not ever thinking I'd go to Congress or be elected, but I grew up with the Barbara Jordans and the Shirley Chisholms. And then I have enough of a black background to remember the struggles and the fights back to the Harriet Tugmans and the Sojourner Truths. And so I always like to tell people I carry them in my soul. Mm -hmm. So on that day, I kind of look up. And I see the faces of Fannie Lou Hamer saying, arrest me, fighting for civil rights and equal rights for women. So I've always been surrounded by women and very fortunate. I call my mother a quiet soldier, 95 years old, still living by herself, still managing her life and still giving me instructions. (laughs) So I think I get some things quite natural. For our listeners, I want to boil this down a little bit. I had a client recently who recounted a story of being at a holiday party, young engineer, and someone, I think, gave her her, his coat and said, here, honey, go hang it up. And she was devastated. In those moments where we feel defeated, that there are people who we can look up to and recall because they had the same struggles that we can reach in ourselves and know that we have what it takes to move. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you shared that story because one of the things I think is so important for especially young girls and women today to understand that we bring a whole history of not only passion and anger, but we also bring emotion. We also bring our feelings to the table, and I don't think we should ever suppress them. See, it's okay for us to be brilliant and strong and passionate and emotional and caring and enduring, and that's what also gets me through. Do I have quiet moments at night where I don't know which way I'm going? Absolutely. But I take from those stories and the story like you heard. Uh, My story wasn't recently, but I tell it today as if it happened yesterday. My first huge job. I'm a county executive. I'm managing $50 million and 500 people. I'm getting ready for my big executive meeting to talk about a property tax. I'm standing at the door. I'm early. I'm prepared. The gentlemen start to come in, and a gentleman comes in, and he looks at me, and he says, Girly, I take my coffee black, put it up there at the table by my name. Now, those that know Joyce Beatty... (laughs) No, that what went through my mind in natto seconds. But here's how the story ended. I got the coffee. 
I looked at his name tag. I matched it up with the plate at the head table, and I set the coffee there. But my greatest moment came three minutes later when I took the seat at the head of the table, hit the gavel, and said, I will now call this meeting to order. The look on his face. Now, there's nothing wrong with being waitstaff. There's nothing wrong at all with that. But the point was, I was the only female in the room, and I was the only person of color. So assumptions are made. So for me, that story says that even today, assumptions will be made. Assumptions will be made because I'm black. Assumptions will be made because I'm female. But we have to know who we are, and we have to build on who we are. Because you see, I am a black woman, but I'm also someone who has worked hard, someone who is still in the fight, someone who mentors, someone who cares, someone who loves their two grandbabies. So you don't have to be just this militant person or you don't have to be just this person who's compassionate. I say to women, embrace all those things because we are all those things. Thank you. Thank you for being the role model who is changing people both globally as you are the example but also one by one for being positive and giving him his coffee and sometimes it's difficult you know when when you look at the stats today you know while this interview is about me it's really not about Joyce Beatty you could take my name out and put any female's name in there And there would be some overlay. Someone's had a problem in the workplace. Someone's had a problem in the studio. Someone's had a problem in the church, the neighborhood. And we all have had some type of obstacle to get over. It's just that I tell my story because I'm more visible. But the numbers today are still frightening. The numbers today are still not enough for women in the boardrooms, for women on boards, for women in Congress. When you look at our numbers, and I serve in one of the most diverse Congresses in the history of this country, and yet there are only 19 other women who look like me. When you think about in the entire Congress, Congress, the, the House and the Senate added together, 535 of us, and only 104 women, and only 20 black women, and fewer Latinos and Hispanic. So we have to take those numbers, tell our stories, but we have to open the door to make other women want to join us. And you could overlap that with many professions. So The good news is you see young students in STEM, science and technology and engineering and math because of technology. I have little girls who actually dress up and put on little red dresses or blue suits and white pearls at the age of eight and nine years old. And they have gone to a microphone and said, I'm going to be like Congresswoman Joyce Beatty when I grow up. That is the best once upon a time story Mm -hmm. that I could leave for young girls that they too can be a Joyce Beatty, a Maureen Metcalf. They can be whomever they want to be. 
I teach leadership at The Ohio State University, occasionally in the engineering program. And it's wonderful to see the increase in number of young women in that program, that women really are moving into STEM roles. Absolutely. And my partner runs Junior Achievement of Central Ohio, and he tells a story of a young girl who they have a day-long running businesses, and a girl says, I want to come back and do it over again. Why? Because I want to be the CEO this time. Our CEO didn't listen to me, but I didn't think I could be that role. Absolutely. Now I know I can be that role. And those are the stories that we have to tell. And that's one of the reasons I like telling my story, because young girls hear it, and then they think, I too can do that. I mean, I grew up in an era of time that I never thought in my lifetime I would see a black man being president of the United States, nor would I see a female coming so close to being nominated and becoming the president of the United States. But now... We know anything is possible if you prepare yourself, if you work hard, and if you believe. And sometimes, because of the obstacles that have confronted you, you want a do-over like that student. And that do-over is to be the CEO. Well, and that was part of the message I wanted people to hear is, it is going to be hard. And as soon as I lose hope, I don't get a do-over. I pull myself out. And staying in the game, in in life, in that compelling and difficult spot is the only way that we get to make that impact. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that I like talking about the positives. I like focusing on how do we get to the next step. You know, when you think about all of the things we quote, we read, Mm -hmm. there is so much knowledge in taking those little sound bites and turning them into real thoughts and real processes. You know, I I quote Martin Luther King a lot because he's a good bridge for little girls and little boys because he talks about the character of his children, Mm -hmm. two boys and two girls. He talks about it is not where you stand when things are convenient and comfortable. But he comes back with, It's the actions that you take during times of challenges and controversy. My whole life has been full of challenges and controversies. And a lot of stuff hasn't been easy or convenient. But yet, here I am. And remember, here I am, that little girl that grew up like every little girl growing up today. And probably with a lot less than what some of the little girls have today. So it's not really about where you started. It's where you end up. And we're going to have all kinds of hurdles and obstacles to get over. But I just tell young women and young girls, we just have to continue the movement. And that movement will get us to where so many of us are fighting to lead us. So when I talked to Dominic on last week, and he told me a story about President Obama writing a State of the Union address. Can you tell us that story? It's really interesting when I think of my life in in 
all of the incredible opportunities that I've had, like sitting on the United States House floor and having a president stop and not only shake your hand or hug you. And and I would be less than truthful if I didn't say when I got to Congress and I got to serve with President Barack Obama, that was one of the greatest highlights. And so I remember it like yesterday. I get a phone call and our leader asked me if I would like to be in the room with a small group of women to review the script that the president of the United States is going to read before the nation. I mean, I don't even think she got all of the words out. And I said, yes, I'm all in. (laughs) And I was so excited. I was a freshman. I'm sitting in the room with some of the most powerful women in the country. And the speech comes over, slid across in front of me. I think I took 30 seconds just to look at his name and the title on it. And then as I started going across it line by line, word by word, I realized into page three, my colleagues had slid their speech copy back across the table. Now, remember, I'm competitive. I'm excited. (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute. So, you know, I'm like raising my hand in this small big boardroom and I'm saying I wasn't finished yet. I was looking for words like powerful women. You know, I wanted to make sure that the president with strong daughters and a wife and he had always talked about women that I saw that word in there. And so I got that look that your mother gives you when (laughs) enough is enough. Well, the competitive genes kicked in. So what did I do? I said it louder. I said, we ought to have something about women in there. We had just vetted and researched this phrase, when women succeed, America succeeds. So what do I do? With silence, I keep talking. So then I said, somebody should write this down. When women succeeds, America succeeds. At that point, the meeting was over. And so I slid my script across. I said, thank you. And we left. The next day, I'm sitting on the House floor, surrounded by cameras. The U.S. House floor is packed. The president enters the chambers. All of America is watching him. And one of my colleagues shouts across to me, look at the top of page 11, I believe it was. We get the script moments before the president starts talking. And by the time I'm turning to look at it, can you imagine the president of the United States reads, when women succeed, America succeeds. I leaped for joy. My heart beat double. And here's the good news. It didn't matter if anyone knew this story but me. But the next day, newspapers across the country said Joyce Beatty had asked the president of the United States to say, when women succeed, America succeeds. Now, the most compelling part of that is for little girls to know Work hard, believe in yourself, because sometimes just that one ounce of courage over a few words can change the world. And for me and for women to have the president say that and for the chamber to stand up and applaud him, we now say so often, when women succeed, America succeeds. And that's the story.
Thank you. I want to ask one last question. You're such a wonderful role model, and your work in Congress also is putting forward legislation to allow all of us to succeed. Can you talk about the OMLI legislation? When I think about how I advocate for women and how I advocate for minorities. People often want to pick one piece of of legislation and talk about it. I believe in inclusion. And I believe if we don't fight hard as women, as people of color for what we believe in, whether it's writing legislation, whether it's testifying, whether it's standing on the House floor, as I've done with this piece of legislation, all our work goes out in vain. So I I got this idea one day. I serve on the Powerful Financial Services Committee. And I believe when we talk about our world and women, we can't talk about it absent of economic development, which means banking and financing and financial literacy or health care or education. And so I try to think about how do I advance young women who are going to college, who are graduating and wanting to have a powerful place at the board or at the table. So I started looking at where are we with minorities with the Federal Reserve Bank's? Where are we with people who are in the room? Because, see, I believe if you are a black woman in the room, you change the conversation. If you are a white woman in the room, you change the conversation. And if you are a Jewish woman or Asian or Hispanic, so you understand where I'm going. You bring your emotions, your culture, you bring your life to the room. And I realized we weren't in the room. And so I started talking about it. I decided every question I would ask to someone who came before me, I would ask them about women and minorities. How many do you have, period? How many do you have at the executive level? How many are on your board? And then I would say, don't come back unless you can tell me something differently because the numbers were on my side. And so I created something after football, the Rooney Rule. We created the Beatty Rule. And so what happens in sports? You can't have a quarterback if they're not in the room. So once they started saying for coaches that they had to make sure that they were in the interview pool. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a piece of legislation that said, if you were interviewing and looking for a president of the Federal Reserve, then you had to have women or black people on the list to be considered. And I'm proud to say now that in Atlanta, some small part, I believe I weighed in on this, Mm -hmm. that we now have a black man who is president of the Federal Reserve. We have only six women, not enough, but we still only have one African-American. So I continue to fight for that. But it's beyond that. It's saving our children, promoting, saving our children. I've been a big advocate against human trafficking. Too many of our young girls are there. So it's pushing and it's also being an avid against those things that hurt us. So I could probably talk about legislation and things I'm fighting for, whether it's our veterans, and that includes women who are veterans, whether it's fighting for our educational system, and most importantly, our health system. Thank you so much for 
both what you do and who you are. There are lots of people who do good work and you look at their personal lives and they're a train wreck. Being both a person that I personally want to emulate and doing the work you do makes you just an exceptional role model. I like to still say I'm just that little girl from the neighborhood, but it's also having strong women like you who people listen to and hear your voice. I think it takes a lot of courage and confidence to come on the air live and talk about tough issues and bring people to the microphone and let them tell their story. So I want people to know that having a station like your station, tackling the tough issues, being out there for us, I want them to tune in a little more because... (laughs) I have just enjoyed being here, listening to you at WCBE, and I think it's just amazing because if we don't promote one another, if we don't get excited about telling our stories and having a movement, why do we do what we do? What an honor to have you join us today. Thank you. The second half of this show, our guest is Doug McCullough. Doug is the CIO of the City of Dublin, Ohio. He's a leader working on initiatives ranging from connecting autonomous vehicles, band networks, to smart cities and blockchain. He's also a black man. So we're going to talk about continuing the Joyce theme and the idea that how do we mentor and replace ourselves along with a lot of other topics. So Doug, welcome. And I want to start with the same question for you that we did for Joyce. Who are you? Well, I'd like to say, like she said, that I am a regular person coming from a regular neighborhood with a regular upbringing, nothing particularly special. I'm proud of my journey. I've had a very interesting journey with twists and turns, just like anybody else. But I'm a person who feels very conscientious, tries hard, wants to help other people. I feel like I've been truly blessed with a certain position in the world. I have some influence. I have some authority and some abilities. And I'm a person who likes to stay connected with my community and always looking for opportunities to help others Mm -hmm. come along, but also to do great things. We do a lot of really interesting things in Dublin, and we're doing a lot of interesting things in Columbus, both on the technology side and many different areas. I like to be in that space. That's, That's kind of my character. And I love being in Central Ohio right now. I think we're one of the most exciting communities that I've seen around the country. So part of the reason we're doing this show, and this was really important to me, is I told a story earlier of a young black woman engineer who was recounting to me what happened to her at a a holiday party last year and being treated as if she were part of the service staff, which is respectable work. What was upsetting was that when that happened, She went to the bathroom crying, and then she left. She left the event. She no longer had a voice at that table. And any time we opt out, no matter how hurt we are, we make less of an impact. And similar to what I asked Joyce, you're really active in advocating in our community. And again, I assume that people have said things that were very upsetting, disappointing, unfortunate mean and yet you continue to rise in your position 
and your impact. You're stepping in as one of the younger CIOs in our community and really, I think, enhancing, if not completely changing the conversation. Well, I have a similar attitude as Joyce Beatty does about this in terms of the slights and the pains that come to you in your day-to-day existence as a black man or as any of us. We all occupy a certain space. I do want to say for the young woman who was devastated by that incident that I'd like her to know if she's listening anywhere out there that she has had a voice. Her story has now been told twice here. Certainly a lot of people resonate with that story and, and, and could tell it in, in different contexts and places. But she is having an impact by telling her story, first of all. Second of all, I believe that one of the things that we often are not prepared for as we go to school or into a training program or college for technology and leadership is we are prepared to do the job. We're not prepared for that particular slight to be asked mm-hmm. to go get coffee, to be asked something for a role that you are not there for. Mm-hmm. It's offensive, it's bothersome, and often we're not prepared for it. I am prepared for it, and I often don't even notice them anymore. And I will say that I was fascinated by Joyce Beatty's response and saying she went and got the coffee, and I she put it down in front in of him. One of the things I have noticed since becoming CIO, and this is not my first CIO position, so mm-hmm. I've been in leadership is that we often react differently based on the amount of power that we have. And I have begun to come to terms with the fact that I have a lot of power. And I'll be glad to go and get you some coffee. (laughs) Because I have hire and fire. I have budget. I have significant amount of influence in the region. Mm -hmm. I speak globally. And I'm very comfortable with that. And so I'm in a different position. So I don't want to minimize a person who is not in that position. They may be new in the job. They may be coming around. So this is one of the reasons why I feel it's important for me personally to get in front of young, new tech workers, people who perhaps have not been prepared for that to happen and prepare them. And let's have a conversation about not only are you going to be excellent in your technology career, but you're going to face certain personal challenges that are going to come to you. And this is how we want to deal with them. And this is what we're going to do about it. We're not going to scream. We're not going to bang the table. We are going to win. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. ultimately, at the end of the day, for Joyce Beatty, banging the gavel and running the meeting Mm -hmm. is how she got to victory. It's also how I get to victory. It's by running the project. It's by signing the contract. It's by a successful launch. And I can bring other people. By the time the people who give slights to people are done with giving slights, that's old news. We've moved Mm -hmm. on. And so that's my warning to people who think that that I'm here to park your car. We have moved on from Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) (laughs) I had a situation, and and I, I tell this not just to say, look at me, but the invitation for people around us to support. So I was 20 when I started my first financial analyst job, and I looked like a kid. And someone also asked me to get them, this was a long time ago, get me coffee and cigarettes, honey. And one of my male colleagues said, I'll go with you. And that shift for me, that voice of support, really meant the world. And I'm still in touch with that colleague. Mm -hmm because it turned what could have been an incredibly hurtful request into also a show of support. Yeah. I'm interacting a lot with uh, women in the field in technology, 
And I, I realize that it's important for me to be present, mm -hmm. to stand next to them, mm -hmm. to be a voice and not just to go off by myself when I observe what's happening in the field. And, and I can have a lot of influence mm -hmm. on a person's experiences. Mm -hmm. For mm -hmm. myself, I've gotten past many of those mm -hmm. things. I started my career as a project manager uh, with people who did not regard my role very well. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're, you're the guy, you're the, the cleanup guy. No problem. I'm going to take opportunities to meet the actual cleanup guys. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to meet the and, and support the people who are in more support roles. Mm -hmm. And I gain from that. And, mm -hmm. and, and what I think we find is that people who don't know how to treat people mm -hmm. eventually begin to crumble in their levels of influence. And those of us who are supporting young women in the field are the ones who are going to have access to them when the time comes to recruit. Let's not lose track of the fact that we're in a battle for talent. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who are not in position to have a relationship with people, to have the credibility to get that interview. The table has turned. It's no longer, I need to get the interview with the person who can hire me. I now need to get the interview with the person I'm trying to hire. So I need to have a reputation as a supportive, inclusive, you know, uh, leader in order to build superior teams. And, you know, that's what I think where we're going. Well, and for people who don't know the statistics, I'm not going to recount the statistics at this moment, but teams that are diverse, so black, white, male, female, LGBTQ population, uh, whatever group you are, whatever religious population you are, more diverse groups are, yeah, in some cases harder to work with because people look different and act different and think different. And it's the look different, act different, think different, different socioeconomic backgrounds. All of that comes together to create better thinking, mm -hmm. better work products. But how we lead is different when people come from a different background. Right. And if you're not prepared to lead in that way, you are not as effective a leader. And what I would say, if you have 10 people who all think the same way, you have one person. Mm -hmm. You are paying 10 people for the benefits of a single one. Mm -hmm. If you have 10 people with different backgrounds, different races, different genders, different religions, different creative methods, you have 100 people mm -hmm. because their interactions with each other are generating better ideas and more friction that you can use to build better products and better projects and those kinds of things. So I feel that we have a class of leadership that is very misguided and I'm taking advantage. I, I have risen to a position of being able to have a wider network of I know all of the African-American technologists in Columbus. So if you're having trouble recruiting them, it's because you're not doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, okay. and I, I've spoken, I spoke at women, Columbus Women in Technology mm -hmm. this past year and the year before. And when I meet CIOs who are saying, how can I get more women in technology, you know, to work in my organization? Find where they are. I, I didn't see you at the conference last year. You were most welcome. So mm -hmm. it, it's one of those things that having an attitude of this and, and being able to engage with people who are different from mm -hmm. you is a strategic advantage. I'm, I'm so moved by some of what Joyce Beatty had to say. We are in a new phase of the struggle. We are not in the phase, uh, which many of us still are, but we are not necessarily in the phase where we have the right to be hired. We are now in the phase where we are competing as organizations, and those that are more diverse are going to win. And so, again, this is a leadership show, right? 
as leaders, if we are not looking at diverse talent, at diverse leadership, at building it, and as at building our leaders to manage diverse people and lead diverse people, we lose. Our organizations lose. We had a conversation earlier about being in the room mm-hmm. and how as a woman or as an African-American or whoever you are, you need to find a way to get into the room. The flip side of that that I will say is as a leader, you need to get out of the room. And if you're having struggles having a diverse workforce, you need to go get them. They're not in this room. <laughs> this is there's a big table in here and 20 chairs. It's a boardroom. It's a it's a conference room. They're not in here. You've got to go out and get them. And so there's two sides of, of the story. And on the one hand, you need to be open and available to getting into the rooms where you're with decision makers and you are a decision maker. But if you are a decision maker and you might be and not know it, you may have more influence than you're aware of. You've got to get out of that room. And you've got to go and and pull other people in and and expose them to the opportunities so that we are creating more leaders along the way. And that's what we're trying to do with our IT Leaders Program, where you speak regularly. Absolutely. And and this is another opportunity in which the CIO community in Mm -hmm. particular looked around and said, if all of us left today, it's not that large of a community. The, The CIO Forum of Central Ohio about 150, on a good day, 175 individuals. Mm-hmm. If you look at the entire tech community of, of Central Ohio, that's a very tiny group. And this group alone is not prepared to replace themselves. We do not have a regular pipeline of people ready to become CIOs. I don't even know that the CIO role is, is permanent, but let's just say senior leadership or middle management leadership. We have not created the right pipeline, and that's one of the reasons why the IT Leaders Program is, is so important. I do want to mention, though, sometimes we attack the pipeline at today's deficit. Mm-hmm. We need to look at the entire pipeline all the way down to how we're educating students in, before they're in college, high school, STEM programs. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to just get stuck at STEM programs. We need to look through college. We need to look at alternatives to college. We need to look at new entrants. We often train people and we give them a great job at the entry level and we abandon them. They do not have a path up to another ladder. They don't have access to a network that can get them to middle management or greater certifications. And certainly we're not getting them into management. So when we start talking about senior management, senior leadership, we have not constructed a full and complete system that is diverse and that is functional. And that's a gap that I am personally trying to work on and advocate for. And I think we all need to be doing it. And you're doing that through Perscalis, so so share what that is. And in the bigger picture, what are you doing to help bridge those multiple gaps? I'm a board member of Perscalis, and Perscalis in particular concerns itself with non-traditional pathways. So you may be a person who went to college but didn't finish or went to college for another career field, Mm -hmm. or you didn't go to college at all. You may have gotten an associate's degree in something else. You're not, you're not heading towards a tech career, but you want to. Mm-hmm. And often the remaining steps to a, a good entry-level tech career are, are very few. 
They could be a certification and some foundational knowledge mm -hmm. that allows you to move into a tech career and become part of that pipeline we so desperately need. Mm -hmm. Perscalus is a free program that people can enter into. It's very rigorous. It's a difficult program. It's challenging. It doesn't cost any money. And uh, people emerge from that. We're going to have a cohort emerging in just a couple of weeks with being very well prepared to enter the industry. So I'm on the board of Perscalus and I'm a supporter of it. I do want to mention other organizations in the region such as IC Stars that does similar type things. And I also want to mention I'm also on the board of TechCore. And TechCore takes IT professionals and leaders and moves them into schools to give students exposure to people who are working in the field. One of the things, the challenges that IT has is that People looking at IT and kind of interested in going that direction have a weird perception of what the field is. It's either mm -hmm. coming from watching NCIS or some hacker movie or something like that. <laughs> and, and, and truly are confused. They don't know the great incomes that are available. They're not aware of what would my lifestyle be like. And so, you know, organizations like Perscolus and TechCore and IC Stars and, and many others in the region are struggling because the image of an IT worker is not the reality. Mm -hmm. And so we have to go out and particularly with something like TechCore, we need to go into schools and say, as an African-American man, I can tell you that I, I might as well be a unicorn in many of these mm -hmm. schools to stand there and say, I'm a senior executive leading work on smart cities. I work in these kinds of technologies, and there's a path for you there. Mm -hmm. I make a lot of money. I support a family. I support a community. There's a, a role for you. There's a life for you in this space. And I think a lot of people are saying, I'm not good at technology. I'm not good at this and that. We need to do more in our field to open ourselves up so that students at all levels, including people who are working in the field, see a greater path of growth for themselves. So that's part of what I'm doing. One, thank you for doing this, because there are a lot of human souls, human families, that get lost. Because the, I'm thinking of a movie where you go to the end of the bridge and there's a gap. The bridge has collapsed. How do we help people make that jump so that they don't get lost? And it seems like there are maybe not enough, but there are beginnings of programs that do just that. There are. And I, I do think that there probably are enough programs, but some of those programs don't scale like Ohio State University scales. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be churning out thousands of graduates, but they are churning out dozens. And uh, one of the craziest dichotomies that we have right now in our market is that we have unemployment, uh, negative unemployment in technology the demand for technology workers is insane. Salaries are going through the roof. And then we have pathways for people to get into those tech jobs, which are free. Mm -hmm. And then we have a large population, particularly in central Ohio, who are unemployed and are and struggling poor. and poor. Well, I guess you're poor if you're unemployed, but people well, who were previously poor who don't see a path forward. Absolutely. Below the poverty line, the arbitrary poverty line. That's ridiculous. And as a technology leader, I feel directly responsible for us as a community addressing that. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with my particular organization, but as an economy. Our economy is not gaining the greater benefits and growth that it could because we have talented people 
not gaining access to jobs, and we have jobs not gaining access to people. This is some of what Smart Columbus is about and Smart City is about, you know, actually connecting people to resources. But that's insane to me. And I feel like every technology leader, every HR leader, every business owner, every educational leader, all of us need to attack that problem. Perscalis does that. TechCore does that. So it's a, a stunning issue. Mm-hmm. And we do have an issue, forgive me for going on about this, but we have an issue with diversity and inclusion where this is concerned as well. I know of African-American people who are able to fulfill many of the roles that are there. Mm-hmm. They're not getting access to that. I know women who are able to fulfill some of these CIO roles. They're able to be ready to be called up and they're not getting the opportunities. Well, what's up with that? What kind of a system are we creating in which we are crying that we don't have enough people prepared for these roles and women are saying, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that's the women's fault. So these are the the structural problems and the Mm -hmm. informational gaps that I think are fixable. Mm -hmm. Well, and what encourages me is I'm an executive advisor to the Women in Technology Group. You're seemingly a board member of everything. (laughs) Uh, The the more you see the parts of the system and the flaws, the more you and I and others are able to pull together and address some of those gaps. It's never going to be perfect because the world will continue to change as we're fixing the system. But if the system and the culture come together to close some of the gaps, and we've got people who are already ready to step in, that gap can be addressed in a not-so-short order. It definitely could, but I will say that the existence of these institutions and these, these, uh, these bodies by themselves don't make that happen. Mm-hmm. So our relationships, our networks, the connections between all of them, mm-hmm. it's going to take all of them. It's going to mm-hmm. take the nonprofits, it's going to take the educational institutions, the big universities, the legislation, and uh, individual leaders to make those connections. It's good to live in a community that I think all of those do come together. And again, for our global listeners who are in communities that don't have this, who don't have an environment that where you have a shortage, that creates opportunities for women in diverse populations. It's an odd mix. I think people on the outside looking at a community like Columbus or Central Ohio and saying, let me get this straight, you have talent, you have jobs, you have training, you have funding, you have nonprofits, and you can't build an economy out of that. We would love to have half Mm -hmm. of what you have. Mm -hmm. That's uh, unacceptable. And it's not as bad as I'm kind of painting a picture Mm -hmm. of it, but I will say that we have all the tools. So I'm going to be a glass half full person, and I'm going to say we have everything we need to maintain a sustainable pipeline of talent, to have diverse workforces, and to have a very strong economy that serves and benefits everyone here, including the poorest among us. We have what we need. I'm going to close on that note. We have what we need. Thank you, Doug. And to our listeners, what stood out to me most is in a time where we are more visibly sharing our challenges, finding the path forward, finding the programs, finding the opportunities, finding the role models and mentors, and this idea of virtual mentor, you may never meet Doug McCullough or Joyce Beatty, but hopefully their words will inspire you, like Rosa Parks 
inspired Joyce, like Martin Luther King inspires Doug and many others do, that each of us find within ourselves and outside of ourselves what's required to contribute in the world in the way that only we can uniquely contribute. And that builds an economy and a a global society that has more opportunity and more success for more people. So I hope you found something from today's conversation that you can take forward in your life and make the contribution that allows you to be your best self. 